What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Man in the Arena podcast. If you have not followed us on Instagram, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Primal Baseball, P-R-I-M-A-L-B-S-B-L. We're launching new blogs weekly and working on stuff for the future as well. So today, I finally have a guest back on the podcast, and today's guest is Patrick Greenan. He is from St. Johnsbury, Vermont. And he is the pitching coach at Salem State University and at the pitching facility in Woburn, Woburn, 781 Evo. And Pat, I'll let you introduce yourself and we'll take it from there. Actually, wait, no, it might be Woburn now that I think of it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just, Woburn. I was just ragging, I was just ragging on you for your pronunciation of it and then I butcher it. So right. I guess we're both messing up. No, I'm I'm excited to come on. Obviously, uh, you know, we've been buddies for a while and I've been uh I've been listening to these podcasts, so it's exciting to get on here. I'd say you you hit the nail on the head with with what I have going on right now. So obviously pitching coach at Salem State, it's my second year there. Um that's been a really good experience for me. Working pitching coordinator at seven eight one Evo. <clears throat> that was a really exciting thing for me to take on because I've had the chance to get mentored by some some really good guys there. Carson Cross, uh, he hired me there, and then Logan Carmen in there. I think they're really smart guys, so I'm fortunate to be around them. I think they're among the best in the Northeast when it comes to player development. And I work with with Gary Troutier too, who's who's another really awesome guy. So fortunate to be there for sure. Been there for a couple months now. Yeah. That's awesome. And for those who don't know Pat, Pat and I played Legion against each other. So we go, we go pretty far back. He, he was on, I believe they're called, were you called the Northeast Kingdom or what, what was your, uh, what was the Legion that, team? Oh, it was, uh, it was OEC, OEC Kings. Orange, Orange Essex County. So we played each other in the, in the Legion state championship or I guess the semifinals. And I actually had a double off Pat. I'll, I'll, I'll add that right now. Um, threw mm-hmm. me a change up, change up, mm-hmm. good pitch, low and away. I was just, you know, a developed elite hitter and took it the other way. <laughs> so yeah, we've had we've had our battles, but Pat and I call probably weekly or biweekly on the phone. For, for we've probably done that for like six months, ever or, or even a year, like since I got to Northeastern, and and we talk for like hours, whether I'm driving around doing DoorDash or whatnot. So we thought it was a good idea to bring it on the podcast, but. We'll try to keep this as simple as we can. So we'll start getting into the topics and then we're going to end with a, a pretty cool topic about um, pitching facilities now and, and how they're training players and then how that translates to the actual player in the game. So first I want to talk to you, Pat, about just getting down the rabbit hole. And I want to know your thoughts on if mechanics can become too much of a focus and and then how how can we blend the mechanical side because mechanical mechanics are very important to pitching obviously but how can we blend those with you know your philosophies of athletic and and free throwing yeah no i think that's a i think that's a pretty good place to start i mean obviously mechanics matter anyone that tells you they don't i mean i think that they're kind of lying a little bit because I think we kind of went from a phase where it was way too focused on that to now it's like, oh, you know, there's a lot of people on social media that'll be like, mechanics don't matter or something like that. They they do. 
but I think it's really a matter of how you kind of let them affect you. And it's, it's really kind of one of those things where pitching is such a uh, throwing a baseball is something that happens in, you know, a matter of seconds. And it's very hard to try to control what is happening in that short time frame. And when you start thinking about it and you, you know, start spinning your wheels, get a little bit domed up, it's really hard to, you know, move well, move fast, you know, and, and that kind of byproduct is all those guys that look smooth. So yes, I, I think they matter. You know, it is a little bit of a slippery slope, which is why I've gotten really into constraints. I think when you're coaching guys, it's really important to try to find a way to relieve, to relay, excuse me, the information that you have to them in a way that's going to be digestible and giving a guy a bunch of, you know, internal or external cues. Obviously those can benefit sometimes, but I think trying to find ways to manipulate the environment is going to be a little bit of a better way to do that. Um, so trying to manipulate the situation to get them to hit certain positions that you obviously want to have take the mound. So you're really just trying to create adaptations through constraints. Um, and I think you mentioned athletic throwing, and I think that one kind of just brings up the constraint of time. So having to get rid of the ball in you know, a short duration of time, like a shortstop, what if he has to throw a guy out of first base? or a catcher trying to, you know, throw a guy out from his knees or an outfielder trying to, you know, plug a guy at home plate. So it's really just one of those things where don't, that's a time constraint. That's why those guys usually look pretty good when they throw. And that's definitely a part of what I certainly try to put into a lot of what the guys that I work with have in their kind of program. I want to also, you know, touch on like our, our experience. Cause we, we may be removed a little bit from playing or, you know, you played at, at St. Lawrence and, and had some injuries there, but can you talk a little bit about your own experience and, and how that philosophy, you know, came to you? I can, I know we've talked about this <clears throat> off, off recording about why you moved into that space. And I think it's important for players to understand that it's not just randomly, like you just randomly decided to to train kids like that like it's actually from something that helped helped you in your own career and I, and I can talk a little bit mm. too on that but I want to get your take first yeah so um at St. Lawrence my freshman and sophomore year one of the things that looking back on it that kind of happened was with me was I played a bunch of different sports growing up all the way up through the time I graduated and those sports whether I realized it or not those were helping me as a baseball player. I got my foundation of, of understanding how to, you know, lift um, from football. And then basketball was kind of, it, it kept me in, in good shape. Um, you know, there, you're certainly like sprinting up and down the court. So there's an element there of you're, you're having to be kind of twitchy. Um, and so that stuff kind of transferred over. But once I got into college um, and it was kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm going to gain some weight, I'm going to get bigger. And I got away from those things I was doing in high school and I become a PO and it's like, all of a sudden I just start slowing down and to get myself once I was like enough is enough. Like I want to be better and I own my development. Then I start diving deep into mechanics and it's like my motor to move fast isn't really there. And then I'm also trying to think about 
how I'm moving and trying to emulate myself after guys in the big leagues, which, you know, there's certainly things you can pull away, but I remember I was, I was all over watching Marcus Stroman who has a frame, nothing like mine. And I was all over watching Joe Kelly who had a super short arm action. And so I got super deep into mechanics and that kind of got me somewhere, but it definitely wasn't where I wanted to be. Um, gave me an understanding of some things, but I found that really the best thing that I could do was just get rid of the ball. And, and, you know, um, I, I started taking ground balls. I would throw from my knees. Like I was doing all sorts of stuff where I just had to figure it out, you know, cause when you throw from your knees, it's like, you're taking your lower half out of the equation and your upper half, if you're going to like make a good throw, it's you're, you're going to just have to figure it out. So, um, I'd say that's a big reason why is because I got so deep into like, I, I was kind of domed up and I got really deep into that. And in order to escape that, I just started getting rid of the ball quickly um, and trying to have some fun playing catch, honestly. Yeah. That's a big emphasis that I've had throughout my career. Really, really the past, I'd say two years, like getting to Northeastern or, or even the, the, senior year at Babson, those three years were my best career years. And those three years, it was more like just being like happy to play catch and like having fun playing catch where before those years, it was more something that I had to do. It was something that it was just like, all right, like I'm going to get catch out of the way, like whatever, like this is stupid. But what, and I thought that I needed to get to the bullpen to actually work on stuff or I needed to get on the mound or, or live or facing hitters or getting on a rap soda to actually work on stuff, which those are great tools, but it, it starts in the, the simple and the small stuff. Like you said, we got to pick the low, low hanging fruit first. We got to be athletes and, you know, oh, yeah. being, being a shortstop in high school allowed me to get on the mound and do what you do. Like, like you said, no, like time constraint, I was just moving fast and like trying to rip the ball as hard as I could and everything linked up and I had great mechanics yeah. and, and great command and, then same thing, freshman and sophomore year, thought I needed to move certain ways and, you know, really honestly, like, couldn't throw a baseball. Like, I was 45 feet away from someone and had to think about how to move everything, and I literally couldn't throw the ball to them. Like, I, I would get on the mound and bounce the ball at, like, 30 feet, like, throw it over their head. Like, I literally couldn't couldn't get anywhere near the strike zone. And then um, just working yeah. back to having fun kind of kind of helped me move through that. Um so, yeah, I think it's I think it's important. Like mechanics are important and we need to have a basis. And, and that's something that I need to learn and dive deeper into. But there there also needs to be balance on the other side of it is a game at some point. And to, to get better at the game, you, you have to have to like the game and, and love it. So um, it, it's got to be got to be both worlds coming together in some capacity. For sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, like, I mean, you, you had that background of being a shortstop. I guess I kind of forgot to mention, I didn't have that. Cause like I'm left-handed. So I just get plugged at first base. So I never really had to deal with that. Yep. You know, like I never, I never had to deal with feeling the ground ball, getting rid of that really quickly. It was kind of one of those things where my, my motor was probably even worse than yours was because you had built those habits at shortstop. Yeah. And, and I also want to, you know, use this topic as a avenue to get into your your path at St. Lawrence too. I know you talked about how you started using these techniques and methods to to get back to where you wanted to be or even improve. But 
you, you also had TOS, which is thoracic outlet syndrome, right? Is that? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you can, you can explain what that is because I'm not, uh, I, don't, I don't know in depth. Uh, I haven't dealt with it as personally as you have. And I just want to know about, you know, what it is and then your path back and the, the struggles that you faced and then what helped. For sure. Um, so my going into St. Lawrence, my freshman year, um, I had a great fall, um, had a great winter too, leading into the spring. And so I was actually our opening day starter as a freshman. Um, and our team struggled that year and I definitely struggled. You know, I'd hang in there for a couple of my starts early on, pitched against some pretty good teams. Uh, I think like Hopkins was probably like the my second game. Played against some pretty good teams. And, you know, once we'd get into the fourth inning, I would normally kind of start falling apart. I just wasn't ready for it mentally, physically, all of the above. Uh, sophomore year, kind of more of the same pitched a little bit better, but I would say generally speaking was really not happy with where I was at junior year. We had a, a GA come in. It was a younger guy. He was actually a hitting guy. Kenny Collins is his name. He was, he had, he was very impactful on my career. I just started working out with him. I realized how tight I was. So I would bug him and do mobility with him all the time. I'd lift with him. I used to throw with him. I basically just wanted to surround myself with someone who had played at a high level, which he did. And I was just trying to become a better athlete. I think I took a couple wrong turns going down deep into really overanalyzing how I was moving. But I think he was someone that kind of helped me out with that. Um, he was a center fielder. So I, I really just tried to pick his brain a little bit, made some pretty good strides there that year. And then COVID happened. So went home. Uh, I really wanted to keep playing ball and use my extra years of eligibility. And so I trained really hard. And one of the things that I was very passionate about was I didn't want to seek a lot of outside help because I thought baseball was going to be something that I would want to get into later on. So I wanted to learn. I was okay trying things on myself and figuring them out. So I wound up making a jump um, and I was pretty regularly in the high eighties. And then come the end of 2020, I started experiencing a lot of swelling, uh, redness, tingling in my left arm. And uh, I wound up getting checked out. I remember my, my like general physician that I see, I remember she was like, Oh yeah, I think you have a skin infection. I was like, I don't know. That just doesn't seem right. They wind up getting me in for an ultrasound and uh, I had a blood clot. And so that was pretty freaky. Um, come to find out thoracic outlet syndrome, essentially what it is, is that thoracic outlet is the space between your collarbone, your clavicle and your first rib. And there's nerves and arteries and veins in through there. And my subclavian vein, sub meaning under clavian relating to the clavicle. So the vein going under my clavicle got pinched and a blood clot formed, which, so basically I just had no blood flow, like returning from my arm. And that was pretty scary. Uh, I spent a week in Dartmouth. Um, they took care of the blood clot and they did the, the decompression of the thoracic outlet, which they go in there and they cut your rib out. 
And so that happens January of my senior year. And I went back, there's just less red tape at a division three school, I think, than a division one school. And so I wound up going back to school and I rehabbed like a madman. I was on blood thinners. It was, it was definitely a little bit freaky, but I wound up getting clearance um, from Dartmouth from the doctors that I had there and they were a great team, but in terms of getting back to play, I think there was just less red tape because I was dealing with our athletic trainer and they didn't have to worry necessarily about preserving me because I wasn't really a, a somebody that was a, on the radar of, of any, you know, affiliate teams. So I rehabbed really hard, came back, pitched. I'd like open games up that year. But I would say mentally it was – that was the hardest thing because just that fear of a recurrence is something that honestly, that kind of just is that, that was something that has been very challenging for me to deal with. Anytime you have an injury, I think there's a, a mental element that comes into it for sure. Um, Cause you don't want to get hurt again. And so for me, that was something that I certainly dealt with, but yeah, that, that was kind of how St. Lawrence went for me, you know, two years there early on, I struggled and, had enough of it and got to work and COVID happened and the TOS happened and it, it was what it was. I mean, I still had the chance to pitch in some, some meaningful games as a senior coming off of that surgery, which to me, that was in hindsight, I was very fortunate for that. One thing, like, I, I guess I, t I take away from, from your experience or, or talking, talking with you is just more the, the mental part, the the fear of of coming back from an injury, and that's I think plays plays maybe and maybe you could talk to this maybe a bigger role than than the physical. Like sometimes maybe you're physically ready, but you're not mentally ready to to let it all go. Like you're not ready to trust your body. Is that something that plays in a factor? And and how did you you know get over that? Yeah, I mean. I think for me, the biggest thing was, is, uh, I was on a blood thinner when I came back. Um, so I, I was pretty confident that the chance of anything coming up again was pretty slim. And I also did trust my, my team that I had when I was at Dartmouth for sure. I mean, they, they had no issues with me returning back. So I put a lot of trust in them, but to be honest with you, I would say, I've had some, some, the, the mental aspect of coming back from that, because that's kind of a rare situation that I had, like of the people that have TOS, I was like the 5% where it was an issue with a vein. And so for me, one of the things that I've kind of dealt with is just trying to remember those symptoms that I had early on and, and trying to just because you might feel something now, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's um, that, that you're dealing with that again. Um, but it's, it's just one of those things where as a, as an athlete, it's important to be mindful of your body. But I, I do think that, you know, it's, it's also important to try to ap approach things as rationally as possible. So that's something that I still continue to work on, right? I obviously still train, um, so I'm still throwing and that's something that I, I still deal with. I, I still am working on. So, yeah, I, I would say that's probably where I would go with that yep. idea. Yep. Okay.
Well, yeah, I mean, I kind of want to, I don't know how to really bridge bridge the gap into pitching facilities from. Well, from, that was the next thing that I kind of got into as far as baseball, right. you know, because so, so, yeah. like a lot of that stuff led me to where I am. I, I guess that is a good way to bridge, like all the experiences, like taking away from your yeah. story or everybody's stories, all the experiences just lead you to where you want to go. And that's something we've talked about too. Like sometimes it's not all clear where you're going to go or clear what the next step is, but it just seems that everything aligns and leads you to where you need to go, even if it wasn't like how you envisioned it. And and people who follow you and, and will give them a place to follow you later, but like your stories and stuff kind of emulate and, and showcase that that philosophy and that ideology from you. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. So I would say, you know, graduating that year, I got my degree in statistics and I was someone that always kind of envisioned myself working for a, a sports team. I, I'm a big football guy too. So whether it was baseball or football analytics, that was kind of where I thought I was going to go. And then when I had the injuries and, and everything that kind of fell as a result of that. Um, I would say between COVID and the injuries that really fueled my passion for, for player development. And I worked on myself so hard. And one of the biggest things for me is I wanted to be able to take everything that I had learned. And I still have at, at, from then I had a lot to learn and I still have a lot to learn, but I wanted to just take all of that and try to feed that back into into baseball and so that kind of initially right out of school I didn't do a whole lot with baseball um, but then last year I put in for a couple baseball jobs uh, I got offered a job down in Texas at a at a juco um, that was a little bit of an aggressive move I just put my name in uh, put my name in at uh, tread and I put my name in at Salem State and then obviously the facility I'm at now, I kind of got going with those guys last year um, and I would help out and and try like, honestly, just anything I could just to gain exposure. But I wound up getting the job at Salem state. And to me, that was a really awesome opportunity last year. Um, so I got brought on, I was one of four coaches, including the head coach, but then we lose uh, our hitting guy and we lose our head coach right before the season starts. So suddenly my, like I get kind of elevated by default. Um, so I've had way more say than I thought I was going to. And as a young coach, that was, um, that was definitely a pretty neat experience. And I would say I really tried to just, be there for those guys because when when you struggle a little bit or you spin your wheels you understand how to relate to guys when shit kind of hits the fan and so that was something that i felt last year you know they obviously went through quite a bit losing a coaching staff our best guy gets hurt being you know being the coach that i was in that situation someone that could kind of relate to them a little bit um, i thought that that was a pretty positive experience overall um, and being at the facility, I know that was something that we were going to talk about was kind of how you can bridge that gap together of doing really well in a facility, kind of that lab setting, and then also on the field. So I think those two experiences uh, have, have taught me a lot about that and what that takes. Yeah. All right. Well, then we'll use that, your, your perfect bridge, 
to getting into kind of the main topic of today, which is, you know, using that quote unquote lab rat ideology of the pitching facilities now, and you have more, you know, mm. experience in a pitching facility than I do. And then we can, you know, that, that versus the actual game player, actual, actual players being on the mound and, and, pitching in a baseball game and how the how the difference is how we can bridge that so we're gonna we're gonna talk about the difference between the quote-unquote lab rat mentality of pitching facilities nowadays and then bringing that or juxtaposing it to the actual playing of the game and the differences and how we can blend those two closer together so there's not a huge difference once we get on the actual game out and and you have more experience with the pitching facility because you're working at one um and i haven't been around many pitching facilities so could you maybe go into that ideology a little deeper for our listeners yeah if if you're looking to train whether it's remotely or in a facility clearly the reason that you're doing that is because you want to improve your performance in game I mean, it wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense to do that otherwise. So, you know, I think that's why things get a little bit interesting because you get guys who kind of get into that um, and, and almost become a lab rat where they they get so good at, you know, what they're doing in inside AC, turf mound. Uh, you got a rap soda or track man and you're just ripping and you're just trying to throw the living daylights out of the ball. And that is obviously very important. Um, you're not really going to get to the level that you aspire to play at if you don't throw very hard. Um, so there's a time and a place for all of that. Um, but I think sometimes things get a little bit lost and your ability to actually compete gets a little bit lost. So I think for me, my biggest philosophy is, is when a guy comes in, just trying to identify what their lowest hanging fruit is. Um, you know, that's kind of where I want to start because that's going to be the easiest thing to attack. You know, maybe, maybe it's, they've got decent command. Um, maybe they're just a little bit weak and they don't throw very hard and, but maybe they move pretty well. So they got to get after it in the weight room and they got to understand maybe how to apply intent a little bit better in their throw. But I think, that stuff is important, but then when you kind of trans to get a guy ready to go for a season, it's important to kind of gamify what they're actually doing in that facility. So I'm a big fan of having guys compete where they're trying to beat each other or they're on a team and they're trying to beat the other team, whether it's in warmups, like we've come up with some fun games that guys can play just to get blood flow going a little bit um, before they get into whatever they have to do for the rest of the day. I also think that one of the things that we've started doing is there's a couple kids that got to get ready for fall ball, college guys, some of the guys that go to the, the private schools as we've had live at bats going on. And so I think that is one of the areas that I think is really important when you're training is, you know, you, you got to still face hitters. If you're not comfortable with a hitter in the box then all that work that you're doing, it's not really worth anything. Um, so that's, that's a really important element to it, but I would say that the information that I can gain 
having a guy kind of in that lab setting is, is, is super important, especially when I look at how I actually coach at the college level, because I pull a lot of things from that and try to bring that in because a lot of those things you're not getting at the division three level. You know, there's a lot of schools that don't, they either don't have access to technology or they don't have someone that's going to be able to actually understand what that tech, like the data means. The technology obviously is providing very important data and being able to interpret that and then provide that in a digestible way to the guys that are on your staff is important. So, you know, for me, I think that's one of the things that I've really been able to, to try to attack. Um, and one of the things that I'm pretty committed to. So when I have a guy who has an awesome track man plot and they got really good stuff, you know, understanding, okay, when we go into a game, this is how we're going to actually attack. Okay. Because it's really not just about whether or not you throw X miles an hour with a decent, uh, you know, whether it's a slider or curveball, it's really about how different can you be from the norm? Uh, and so maybe you're a guy with a low release height, you spin the ball. Well, you're going to want to maybe throw up in the zone a little bit if you spin well and just understanding how to play the guy's strengths. So I would say that's how kind of that lab setting can feed into the game is like, you're just learning what your strengths are at that point and how you can actually pitch to your strengths and get outs. Cause that's really what it's all about. But yeah, I mean, honestly, man, the biggest thing is just not kind of can't get too lost in the sauce for the lack of a better term. Like yeah. when you're in a, when you're in a facility setting, you got to remember why you're there. You know, if you're not trying to become more of a dog on the mound, then I really think you're kind of just wasting your time. And unfortunately, when it comes to sticking a plan, I think it's right now, I think it gets a little bit harder to do that because how accessible things are on social media, guys kind of get training ADD. They want to just, they want quick fixes. And I think that's one of the biggest detriments to it. Yeah. And for anyone listening that is, is like swayed either way, I've, personally definitely been swayed to both sides when like when I was a freshman I wanted to learn just like how to throw harder and and the mechanical side so I I feel like I swayed more towards the the lab rat side and then as as I dug myself out of that hole I started to sway more towards the not listening to mechanics at all and I kind of got scared like I was fearful of learning about mechanics because I thought it was going to bring me back into the same hole that I dug myself out of. And, and now being able to look at, at a bigger picture, I'm able to see that, that you, you definitely need both and, and one side can't work. Like it, it can work as long as you, as long as I, it can work as long as you can make it work, but at some point it's going to come to an end. Like, at some point I can't like me being a competitor on the mound and me being a beast is, is going to be great, but I need that other piece at some point, like at some point to bring me to the next level. So finding a way right to, to bridge, bridge to the middle, like you, like you were talking about is, is really important. So for those guys who are maybe scared to look more into the mechanics, like that's something you're probably going to have to do. You're going to have to be more well-rounded. And then for the guys who are all about mechanics, well, you're going to have to look into being a competitor because it's, it's not when that's great that you know how to throw and that's great that your mechanics are good. But when there's 5,000 dudes 
that are all hating on you, like yelling at you from the stands and there's a man on second with two outs in this eighth, like, and you need an out, like thinking about the mechanics may not bring the best yeah. results. Right. You, that's, so, that's a really good point there too. Yeah. So it's like not, you got it. You have to be able to separate that kind of, you know, trying to work on yourself from the actual game. Cause I think that's something that a lot of guys get trapped on. And I, and I want to bring that into that's kind of where we're going and where I'm trying to get at with primal baseball. And I haven't talked a lot about the business side or what I'm even, you know, what the vision is for that, but that's where I'm trying to bring in. Like, I believe if you're a better person, you'll become a better player, like more well-rounded in all aspects because you need to be well-rounded in all aspects in order to perform not in a vacuum. Like the vacuum is, the pitching facility where there's, you know, not much going on. It's just the mound and the ball, which is needed. But then when the external factors or stimuluses start playing in, playing a role, such as the fans, the situation, the heat, like, like you were talking about AC, can, like you're not going to be in an AC conditioned place with a track man. Like that's where I'm being able to adjust and being a, a better well-rounded human being will, in my opinion, allow you to, become a better pitcher because you'll be more well-rounded and adjusted to any stimulus or factor that can play a role in the performance. No, a hundred percent. And that's why I think going off of that, when you are kind of developing yourself in the off season um, or even in season, I, I always have um, at least recently I've become a big fan of kind of the idea of practicing dirty to play clean. So making bullpens like hard as hell. Um, maybe you're, uh, I think you get all sorts of mounds at the, at the college level, high school level. And sometimes just throwing on your bullpen mound has not, that hasn't been taken care of in a while. It's good for you. Cause you're not always going to throw on a, on a, on a mound that's pristine. It's not to say that you should be throwing on one that's unsafe, but like, having a little bit of a crater and having to figure that out or um, getting heckled by some of the guys on your team during a bullpen, just to work on kind of maintaining that focus on what you're actually trying to do. That stuff yeah. all is going to prepare you. You know, you're getting a little bit uncomfortable in your practice situation. Um, and that's, I mean, at the end of the day, that really kind of just feeds back into the whole, kind of constraint thing, manipulating situations to try to leverage the best possible outcome for yourself. Yeah. And that's staying, I mean, that's staying true to, again, we, we are Vermont, we are both Vermont baseball players. So that's how we stay true to our experience. And that's how we personally got better. So, you know, we want to, we're both sharing our experiences and trying to tell other, you know, tell other players that it's possible to do things without having the perfect resources. Just like when you're throwing outside in your backyard or I'm throwing like shoveling snow off the mound to go throw in the snow or throwing into a, a mat in the indoor horse arena. Like sometimes that, that grit may not show in, in your mechanics or show in the numbers but there's some things that numbers can't can't reach like the the grit and and you said like throwing on a mound that isn't the most manicured 
like that's that's more realistic than than having perfect conditions so some of the guys who are like no i'm not pitching like this is stupid like it's it, it, the mound is not nice like well what are you going to do in a game when it's not nice like what are you going to do when it's cold like you some point you have to adjust and and become a little grittier and be uncomfortable and that'll help you in life probably more than than having the perfect situations and having everything set up for you because in real life that's not how it's going to go you're going to have to adjust to what what you know is out what the what the the deck of cards that you're given or the hand i guess i'm not a card player but good metaphor so so yeah i think we'll we'll wrap it up as far as that topic goes um i wanted to like have this time for for you to ask me any questions that you had or thought of and then we can get into the rapid fire round yeah um i think one of the questions that comes to mind with you is you have played you've played ball at a lot of different levels so you've played at snhu so there's your d2 and then you went to babson so there's your d3 then you went to northeastern so d1 so you played d1 d2 d3 you played in the necbl and you played in the cape so you've basically played at like almost every level imaginable for a college guy. What would you say? Um, what would, what would you say kept you um, kind of level-headed throughout that process? And what would you say was allowing you to, um, to get the job done, you know, because obviously like everyone that listens to this, they, they know a little bit about you, but it's not like you're walking out there in the Cape throwing 98 miles an hour right? Like you're, you're a guy that just gets the job done, like upper eights, low nines, like that's, that's your thing. And you throw it where you want to. So what would you say helped you get it done? Yeah, I'd be lying if I said I was level-headed throughout the whole playing career. I think that was part of what helped me get it done. Like at SNHU, I mean, I've, I've, I've said it on the podcast and I've said it to most guys or most players that I'm working with, but I definitely had a lot of struggle at SNHU. Like I wanted to quit baseball halfway through my freshman year but I I knew like I loved it and I just wanted to play somewhere and and you know at that point in my career I I thought that baseball wasn't really going to be an option for me I I was like shocked and overwhelmed by like failing and then I kind of grew to as I matured as a baseball player at Babson and a person I grew to kind of accept failure and and not run from it as much as I was at SNHU. So yeah, throughout those, throughout my whole playing career, the thing that kept me, you know, it kept me going, like kept me going or, or kept, allowed me to be successful was, was at the very base, just the love for the game, because without that, the failures, you know, hit a little deeper. And if, if you don't love it and you're failing, it can, it can suck. Um, but if you can fail and still love it, like if, if the love is that deep, then there's nothing that can really go wrong. Like, like loving it, even when you're facing adversity or, or loving every part of it is, is what kept me, kept me successful. Like even during the failure, I was able to, to love that part of it. And during the good times, I was obviously able to love it. And, and during the unknown, like that, the, the transfers during all of that time, it was just like loving baseball was at the base of it. So I think that needs to be at the base for, for everybody. 
and and then you can improve off that. But if you don't have the foundation, there's nothing to build from. That was probably the most simple answer I could give you. But there was no, there was no nothing crazy I did. Like I didn't go to any pitching facilities. I didn't do all this stuff. Like you said, I wasn't the dude throwing the hardest. I was just the dude that was competing and and working as hard as he could day in and day out, and and kind of trusting the work that he he put in. And and during the the later years, the more more I trusted in in the work that I put in and the more work that I did put in, um, the luckier, the luckier I seemed to get and um, the more fun I had. Cliche, trust the trust the process and love the game and some stuff some good stuff will happen, but that 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 happens in baseball and life. That's all I got for that. Love it. Yeah. We'll get into the to the rapid fire questions before. I let you go on this beautiful Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. All right. What's your What's your favorite book? Mm. So honestly, I would say my favorite book. This is kind of a bit of a throwback because this dictated what I wanted to go to school for, and I'm I'd probably say Moneyball. Okay. I was a big fan of Moneyball growing up. Oakland A's fan too, so yeah, you are probably gonna probably gonna stick probably gonna stick with that one. All right, um, favorite memory from baseball, and then if you have a favorite memory from outside of baseball, you can add that too. Favorite memory from baseball, um, I'd say my favorite memory from baseball is probably striking the first guy out that I fa- that I faced after having TOS I came back pretty quick and I think for me that was like that was a big moment um so I'd say probably that uh have you ever been in flow state and can you describe it and if you don't know what it is or don't know what it means and we can leave it no I in high school I felt like I was there a lot um but that, that was high school um at the college level, I when I came back from surgery, um, it was my third start because I would basically just open games because I wasn't really built up to be a starter. And we were we uh, we were playing at RIT, and I started the game, and I just felt amazing going into it. I just I don't know. We we had took the first two games, and I just went out there, and I remember I couldn't find my curveball that day. Like it, it just I wasn't really. I didn't feel like I could really get it over for a strike. I just kept like burying it. So it kind of felt like it was out the window. I don't know. For some reason, it just didn't phase me because my fastball felt like it was coming out pretty good. So I basically just threw a straight diet of heaters. We wound up, I threw three innings and I remember we threw like a combined one hit shutout. So it was just one of those things where like, yeah, I mean, I went out there with a, with basically just a fastball in that game. And I didn't care. And I was able to get swings and misses. And that was, that was probably one of those moments. Yeah. Wait. All right. You're not prepared. Easy. You're not prepared for this one. Cause I didn't send them to you just to put you on the spot, but what's something uncomfortable that you want to start doing in order to grow as a person? Well, you asked me what my favorite book was. And I am not good about reading books. Okay. Um, I am, I, 
do I read? Uh, yeah, I do. But I would say I there's a lot of books that I've been recommended um, that people have brought up to me that I just I haven't gotten into, you know, for one reason or the other. So I would like to carve out some more times to read and and just to try to tap into things that aren't necessarily just so baseball centric, like things that kind of are going to bring, uh, bring another perspective to me. And, you know, they'll probably feed into baseball too. So I think honestly, reading more books would probably be one of them. I'll hold you to it. I'm going to hold you accountable to that. You'll, you'll, so, you'll hold me to it. Yeah. What is your most valued non-material possession? Answer carefully. Cause Mary might be listening to this. Um, my most valued non-material possession. Honestly, this is going to be super cliche, yeah. but I would just say my, my passion, my passion for baseball, yeah. like it's, it, that's not materialistic. It's just, it's a, my feeling is that if you can have a job and it's, and you, and you can earn you can earn a, a wage or a salary on what you are most passionate about. I think you're incredibly lucky and I think you're incredibly fortunate. And I think that is something for me where I feel a lot of gratitude for that. And so I would say my, my love for baseball, my passion for baseball, something that hasn't wavered through the trials and tribulations through the ups and downs, like that's probably, that's probably what I am most grateful for because that's like something that i possess you know obviously like you could talk about relationships or something like that but you're not really like possessing the person or something like that so i would say possessing my love of baseball got it like it uh something i guess this is a similar question but not a little bit different something you often forget that you're grateful for like something that just slips your mind a lot and then sometimes you're like wow i'm lucky uh i would say that one's probably got to be, that's got to be family. Yeah. Um, I, I think not being around my family all the time, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you kind of go on and you, you get caught up in your own life, but knowing that you've got your family out there um, or your friends that are there for you, no matter what um, that's a, that's a really important thing to me. So I'm going to have to go family on that one. Last question of the day, advice to your five-year-old self. Uh, advice to my five-year-old self. Um, I, I would say that would probably have to be, I should have, I, I probably should have begged uh, my little league coach to let me play some shortstop, get a little left-handed shortstop action in there. Probably would have made me a little bit of a, a better athlete. Yeah, probably would have. We had a left-handed shortstop and a left-handed third baseman at Hartford, and my college, yeah. my college pitching coach always makes fun of us for it, but we did, and he was not bad. We won a lot of games for Vermont, so <laughs> I don't know. Pretty good. No, I mean, I think that's something – you can't really do that for very long, that's for sure, but yeah. uh, I would say the, the greater message there is probably just to uh, not be such a pitcher all the time when I threw. Yeah. You know, just, just, just let it rip a little bit. That would probably be 
that would probably be it. Cause those habits that you can build doing that. So. Yeah. Well, that's all we got for today. Everybody. Thanks. Thanks for listening. But before you go, Pat, where can people find you and your content and where can they reach out and, and talk to you? Yeah. So my Instagram is PJ bases. Uh, so that's, that's, that's my Instagram, you know, DMS are, are open, whatever, try to try to post on that fairly, you know, not crazy often, but pretty regularly, you know, definitely like once, twice a week. Um, and I'm, that's normally where I am, uh, in terms of an online presence. So yeah, happy to check you know, talk there. I, I have a couple links in the bio. So if, if anybody ever wanted to set up a time to talk, they can do that too. So that is, that's probably the best way. Well, that's all we got. Thanks for coming on, Pat. And hope you guys yes, enjoy. Sir. Hope you guys enjoy this Thank episode. You. Listen to right. Thank you.